Hi, friends. Join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. With both a spoiler and spoiler-free analysis, there's something here for everyone. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy. And welcome back to our podcast. This week we are going to be talking about the best Xander-centric episode the show has produced. And I don't want to spoil anything, but it's my personal favorite of Xander-centric episodes. Uh, the Zeppo, which is very exciting because I feel like for the people who are diehard Xander stands, um, I feel like you guys may hate us a bit for how much we uh, slander your favorite character. But this episode is just fun. And I love that this episode really captures the essence of Xander in a very fun, comical way. Like, I really have very, very little complaints about this episode, which is crazy since it's a Xander-centric episode. It's so refreshing to finally have an episode where we can talk about Xander's good qualities because I don't hate Xander. I know we've crapped on him enough and I think people are like, well, you don't hate Xander? No, I don't hate Xander. I actually think that he's a strong character. He just has some very toxic qualities. Um, and unfortunately, the show likes to dwell on that a lot more than some of his good qualities, at least uh, right now. So I'm really excited to talk about some of the really great things about Xander, and I think it's going to be a refreshing change of pace. But before we jump into everything, just our little thing that we have to give it at the beginning of every episode, you guys can find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Tumblr, Becoming Buffy Podcast. You can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. I normally say this at the end of the episode, but I always feel like it's like last minute. But Spotify also just rolled out a new rating and review system, and it would mean so much to us if you guys could go on there and go ahead and review us. Um, you can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as well. We have a blast reading those. We love hearing from you guys. So anyway, all right. With that being said, Season 3, Episode 13, The Zeppo, written by Dan Weber, and IMDb says Joss Whedon and Jane Espenson as well, but Dan Weber gets the main credits for this. Directed by James Whitmore Jr. and an air January 26th, 1999. All right, buckle up, kiddos. I have a lot of background for this episode. <laughs> buckle up, kiddos. <laughs> I could I'm not sorry. let that go unscathed. Okay, continue. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I've been around my kids by myself all day today. <laughs> Anyway, okay. <laughs> um, apparently, Nicholas Brenton cried when he read the script because he was so delighted with it and its meaning for his character, which I love hearing things like that. And I never really thought about how Nicholas Brenton probably got very tired of never being able to have a heroic moment and having to constantly have a character that was very angry and bitter all the time. <laughs> um, the structure and concept of the script is a homage to Tom Stoppard's 1967 existentialist play Rosencrantz and Gillenstern Are Dead, which follows the action of two relatively minor characters from William Shakespeare's Hamlet, while using the actual main plot and characters from Hamlet as occasional background and diversion. 
Um, So they're basically Hamlet's childhood friends hired by King Claudius to spy on him. And they move in and out of the play, appearing for brief moments, and then end up being (laughs) executed by the end of the play. But Joss and co kind of got the idea to, well, not really Joss, more like Dan Vepper, but more on that in a second. So we talked about, um, I don't know if you guys remember back when Leah and Chrissy were here for Lover's Walk. I read several quotes by Dan Vepper, and he was talking about how his script for Lover's Walk got heavily rewrote and how he could only point to like one thing in the episode or one or two things in the episode that Joss actually kept in. And he was so excited about his contribution of Oz sniffing out Willow. Um, And then he talked about how the iconic Spike speech um, being fool for love or love's bitch to Buffy and Angel, it was rewritten by Joss. And so Dan really struggled with that. Well, This is what Dan has to say about the Zeppo. He said, My pitch to Joss for that episode was we should do a Rosencrantz and Goldenstern episode where it's following a really boring character and in the background, the most exciting world-ending story is taking place and we just don't even address it. He liked that idea and he ended up doing it. In my draft, the B story was brought to the front and the A story was in the background, whereas in Joss's draft of it, he had brought up the B story much more. I feel like it might have lost a little bit of that Rosencrantz and Guildenstern element, but for all I know, it wouldn't have been watchable if that were the case. So again, not trying to read too much in between the lines, but I feel like I feel like this guy's self-confident. Josh just sounds like such a jerk. Yeah, like, I agree. I mean, obviously we know he is, but it's just like... Oh my gosh. I mean, I, I don't want to beat a dead horse. I know we've talked about it before, but it's like people, it's just, it sounds like so many people are pouring their heart and souls into scripts and acting and like different parts of the show. And Josh just like spit them out, like, and just unnecessarily yeah. too, but then would take credit for it. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Josh, I think, prides himself with being like, one of the smartest people in the room, not saying that he is, but I think that's how he views himself. Um, And he has this God complex, especially when it came to the show because he was in charge of everything. But it just makes me really sad. Every time I read a quote from Dan Weber, I mean, him talking about how he, Joss let him go at the end of season three and Dan's like, yeah, it's because I just can't, you know, write for drama. I think I'm just a comedy writer. And I'm like, no, dude, your scripts are two of the stronger episodes of season three or two of the strongest episodes of season three. And it's just a shame that he goes out thinking that it wasn't because it was him. It had to do with Joss, you know? And yeah, it's just very sad. So this episode is the basis for Joss's writing style in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., He described, this is basically a TV series of the Zeppo, describing Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which was a very deliberate deconstruction of a Buffy episode in order to star the person who mattered the least. The people who are ignored are the people I've been writing as my heroes from day one. Um, The Zeppo is technically the third apocalypse for the Scoobies after Prophecy Girl and Becoming Part 2, which I think is hilarious. And we don't even know like half of what goes on with the apocalypse. So the title, Zeppo, um, it's referring to Zeppo Marx, who was the fifth and youngest of the Marx brothers. They were an American comedy act in the early 1900s. They included Chico Marx, Harpo Marx, Groucho Marx, and Gummo Marx. Although he was a performer, he was rarely given much comedic material, usually playing the straight man in the Marx's plays and movies instead. Hence, Cordelia's insult to Xander that he is non-essential to Buffy and the gang and therefore the Zeppo of the group. 
Um, and then this is my favorite bit of trivia. Doctor Who executive producer Russell T. Davies was inspired by the Zeppo when writing the 2006 episode Love and Monsters, which started an annual tradition for an episode with little involvement of the lead cast. Um, it's the season two episode where uh, I think, Leah, you described it better than I did. It was the guy who, like, creates a whole love story because he's infatuated with the doctor. And is it Martha or Rose? The episode is broken up into, like, sections because he's, like, doing video diaries. And he's talking about his experiences with the doctor and observing the doctor and how, like, he keeps running into this guy and his companion, who's a blonde because it was Rose. And... They just like weird stuff keeps happening around him. And every time it happens, they're the ones who show up and then it goes away. And so then it's like the whole episode is him kind of like looking into what the doctor is. And he has like this whole like different storyline where he like falls in love and there's like aliens. And like it's just like you get like a full arc with a character that you never see again. Gotcha. Well, yeah. Okay. So that was kind of the basis or that. Is, was kickstarted because of the Zeppo. And then after that, most people who get hooked onto the show of Doctor Who usually start out with the episode Blink. I love how we wouldn't have Blink, which is so iconic, if it weren't for the Zeppo, which I never would have put two and two together. Um, and I think we talked about back in um, Helpless, we talked about how Russell T. Davies was a huge uh, Doctor Who fan and how if it weren't for Buffy, Doctor Who pro- Doctor Who probably would never have gotten revived again and everything. Um, And then this is – this last little bit is my favorite. So Russell T. Davies, they found this little excerpt on his production notes. And he says, note to self, by episode 10, David and Billy will probably be knackered. Real risk of them appearing on top of Welsh Parliament building with sniper rifles if I make them do more work. Plus, not sure they can be at two places at the same time thanks to filming requirements of episode nine. Must come up with story that doesn't involve Dr. Aura Rose. Hmm. How about story like Star Trek's Lower Decks that focuses on other characters? Or like the Zeppo on Buffy. I love Buffy. I wish I was Buffy. He seems so wholesome. I love him. I don't even know. I him. know, right? This is him just like doodling. <laughs> just like ranting. That's uh, how my um intrusive inner thoughts are like. I just go on rabbit trails. Noel Murray of the AV Club wrote that the Zeppo had become a favorite episode of his, saying, What I love about the Zeppo is how Xander's feelings of abandonment pervade the structure of the episode, which is filled with moments that are intentionally dramatically unsatisfying. In Entertainment Weekly's list of the 25 best Whedonverse episodes, including episodes from Buffy as well as his other shows, the Zeppo placed at number 23. TV Squad's Keith McDuffie listed the Zeppo as the fifth best episode of the series. The episode was nominated for an Emmy Award for Outstanding Makeup in a Series. That's so crazy. I've never, I mean, I like the episode, but I've never thought of it being in like my top 10 or even 20 episodes, but I guess it's pretty good. I don't know. I honestly, I don't, it definitely would not make my top 10, maybe like top 25. Really? Wow. That's crazy. I, I really like this episode only because I think that it it is such a different vibe to so many other episodes. And I love when, when shows do that, when they go outside of the box and they do yeah. something different and when it pays off, because then it's like, it's what makes a show last longer for me is when it has variety. Sure. Yeah. You know, and it's not just a typical, you know, 
run through of an episode. Yeah, it's definitely very different. And its strength is that we focus on a character outside of the normal characters that we focus on. Not that Xander's not a part of it, but I don't know that it would have been as interesting if they would have focused on Willow simply because Willow is kind of just wherever Buffy is. But yeah. Um, so how do you guys think this episode fits into Xander's arc so far, given the episodes we've seen of him with Teacher's Pet, The Pack, and then what episode – oh, Bewitched, Bother, and Bewildered, I guess. I feel like this episode kind of just further dives into like what we know of Xander and just how he views himself. And I think we're kind of seeing it come into like more of the forefront of his mind instead of like the back – um, of just kind of like feeling like he's not as important in the gang, feeling like he doesn't have much to offer and is kind of like, I think he's just scared of being useless. And I think that we're really seeing that in this episode that he is kind of seeing that he doesn't have much to offer the group. And so I think in his mind, he's going, okay, well, if I don't have much to offer, what do I do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think this episode fits really well with themes of identity and choice this season. Um, I mean, we've watched Xander wrestle with what it means to be a man, especially with Buffy being there to break down his misogyny. Like in The Harvest, Xander really wrestles with the fact that Buffy's taking on more of the hero or the traditionally masculine role. And so Xander's like, wait a minute, where does that leave me? Um, And he wrestles with that in a way that, you know, Willow is not going to wrestle with because of what society tells him who and what a man is supposed to be. Um, This episode is kind of an extension of all of that. And I really love how it feels like in a lot of ways, like if this show had stopped at the end of season three, I feel like we would have kind of gotten like a pretty fulfilling arc of Xander's because I feel like he kind of grows up a little bit in this episode, not fully, but just like a little bit. From a review, Mark watches Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He says this, for now, Xander's identity as a part of the Scoobies is examined, and it's contrasted in a way that pokes fun at some of the more serious moments that the other characters are in. I think it's natural for this show to tackle this by having Xander wonder why it is he's even around at all and why he's obsessed with being cool. In a way, I think this episode is sort of a companion to Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered, and not just because it's Xander-centric. Xander wants to experience life at the center of attention to be viewed as cool. He wants to be the guy who miraculously saves the day. This episode grants him that, and in the process, he realizes that maybe his own self-worth is not contingent on any of those things happening as he desires, which I thought was a really, like, cool insight. You could tell that there was a purpose in the writer's room, and, like, the agenda of this episode was very, like, it was a consensus in the room. They're like, yes, this is what we want to do with Xander in this episode. And I feel like a lot of the other times they were, like, a little – at least – as a viewer, you're like, what's the purpose of this one? I'm kind of confused. Yeah, I feel like some of the other Xander episodes have been – like there's been a reason for it, but sometimes it's been a little convoluted. Or even just a bit like one-dimensional. Like the episodes kind of seemed like, okay, we get it. Like he's goofy. Like he like deflects off of his emotions. Like he feels like an outcast. He's in love with Buffy. Like those are pretty like non – Deep. These are the core tenets of Xander. This is what stuff. makes Xander Xander. But I also feel like this episode does a good job of keeping the essence of Xander. Like, it's funny. You know it's a Xander episode. It has all the strengths of Xander. Like, it's funny. It's quick-witted. It's, like, entertaining and, like – but it's not over-the-top 
about like the end of the world. It's not serious. Like all the good elements of Xander. So it feels like a Xander episode without having to have the annoying high school boy issues that are overdramatized. Because I think that Xander does have a legitimate issue in feeling like he's left out of the group. I think that's a legitimate issue to have. I think that any person in Xander's shoes would feel that. And so I like that they talk about that with Xander's character, but I love how much is shown in this episode without having Xander having a whiny monologue about how no one wants him around. Mm -hmm. It does a lot for Xander's character and it makes you like him. It makes him a likable character. Yeah. I think one of the cool things about this episode is to a lesser extent, just hear me out here, to a lesser extent, it kind of mirrors what Angel was going through in immense in the sense that Angel was wrestling with the concept of doing good for the sake of it just being good. And I think Xander is on in his selfishness wants to do good so people notice him so that he gets accolades and stuff. And I think by the end of the episode, he's recognizing that he's doing good because it's the right thing to do and he doesn't need to tell everybody about it. And I think that's maturity and growth on his end. So it's kind of cool to see him grow up just a little bit. Um, The opening of this episode, it was really like entertaining to me because I don't think I've really seen a scene like this so far. Faith is back. Hallelujah. It's been mm-hmm. – I mean, we, I know she was in amends, but I was like, okay, she's actually like a part of the gang now. She's not just being invited to, you know, someone's home because they don't want to leave her left out. Like they're – she's actively involved with the gang, similar to what happened before Revelations. The beginning of this episode literally gave me a headache. <laughs> like the camera angle through the fog and like all that. I literally was like, oh my gosh, what is going on? And then the music was all weird. I was like, I'm very off-putted right now. I think it's kind of subtle because Giles mentions that he like doesn't have many resources because like the council like fired him so it kind of makes sense why it's so chaotic right after like helpless because it's like everyone doesn't really know what they're doing they're like we don't have the council we don't have any resources no one's answering us I guess we'll go and fight these demons we have no idea about well, I mean, this is different than Buffy going out in the cemetery in the middle of the night and just fighting vampires. Like this was like, I think the sister of Jay or whatever it's called. There's a specific group that Giles probably mm-hmm. read about in a book and said, okay, team, all of us are going to go. We need faith for this. And then they went out there and got it. So it seemed like it was a slightly tougher fight. I mean, the fact that Willow has to do magic should clue us in that this is probably a little bit more strenuous than it normally would be. Then they kill the demon dude, and then they're all kind of like talking, and they're like, have we forgotten something? Hmm. <laughs> Someone's missing. Who could it be? No, they don't even think about it. Xander's just like over there in the corner like, hey, um, I'm fine. Giles and is like, they're that, like um, oh, yeah. That, um, oh, what's his name? Um, um, <laughs> that dude that's hanging out with us all the time. Guys, he, his name is not coming to mind. Help me out here. They're like, Xander? <laughs> Giles is like, oh, yeah, Donut Boy, the guy who goes and gets the donuts Oh, my gosh. What me. a funny gag in this episode. I'm going to get to that. So funny. I don't think I've ever noticed that in this episode. Like, I'm being dead serious. I was watching this and I was like, what the heck? That is genius. But also, sometimes you'll see them with snacks in the library, too. And you're like, now I'm like rethinking everything. I'm like, is Xander always the one going out to get these things? Yeah, I think he is. Well, I love that Buffy's like instantly feels bad because she knows she forgot about Xander. Speaking of another comedic scene, this like throwing football scene outside of like the the school 
so funny. He's like, over here, over here. The guy clearly sees him like three or four times and then reluctantly throws it to him <laughs> and he like completely misses it. Okay, so the music in this scene, believe it or not, is actually really interesting. So the musical cue, it's called Dodgems by Soundstage. Soundstage is a um, it's a music company that kind of makes very basic tracks. Like, you know, I think of um, – I don't know, one of Disney channels where it's like one of those uh, intros in between the scenes where it's like, ah, like, you know, someone does a riff or whatever. So Joss was like, hey, we need a basic track for Xander's episode. <laughs> he didn't even have Christoph Beck do this. So the cue is called Dodgems. Confirms both Xander's everyman status and his clumsiness. Scored for an ensemble of guitars and drum kit, it closely resembles a verse of an indie rock song without lyrics. Three chords appear in a continuous cycle that sounds four times. The first chord briefly establishes a home key, while the second and third outline a progression that facilitates a smooth transition back to the initial chord. The emotional effect of this cycle sounds familiar and unassuming, and the cyclical repetition sets up a groove or pattern of expectation that nicely reflects Xander's desire to participate in the game. And I would add his role in the group and in life in general. I won't bore you all with the rest of the quote, but basically the tempo picks up as he joins the game, but the music stops without a tonal closure, leaving us feeling as though it was interrupted and incomplete. And the quote continues and says, Xander is left to cope with the social damage that he has suffered without the benefit of music. And that's from Music, Sound, and Silence. And this is important because the scene is mirrored at the end of the episode, which we'll talk about then. Um, but as the camera follows Cordelia as she walks away at the very end after completely like dissing Xander, it's mirrored at the end of the episode. And the music that plays there is significant as well. So keep that in mind. I'll definitely store that away. Thank you, Sarah. Tabby's like, well, then. <laughs> yeah, that really was interesting. Okay. My girl, Core, love you. I really feel like she was a little harsh in this <laughs> episode. <laughs> okay. But I will say, A, she's been cheated on. So, yes, she's mean. But I also feel like it's coming from a very bitter place. Like, you're not supposed to think what she's saying is nice. Yeah. I think it's supposed to be obvious that she just is very hurt. I just kept thinking what a weird freaking world high school is and was. Like people like dated and then like are dating their ex's best friend or just like I've, I'm talking from experience yeah, seeing this happen right? to people in the same friend group, like <laughs> dating for two years, sleeping with their best friend and then all hanging out together, making out with their new boyfriend, AKA best friend. It's just, and everyone hangs out together and acting as if nothing happened or someone cheats on the other person, like in this episode. And then the person who's being, who had been cheated on just comes up and talks to their ex-boyfriend, making fun of them all the time. But like in kind of almost a lighthearted way, like when does this ever happen? It's traumatizing time to be alive, teenagers. Seriously, teenagers it's so weird. With, so you know, weird. It it's just hard. Yeah. But I mean, some of the things she says are like, unlike those demons, Jack noticed you were there. Oof. She said, You're this little nothing. You must feel like Jimmy Olsen, the boy who had no cool. Um, you're the youthless part of the group. You're the Zeppo. This next scene. Um, they have a wide-angle shot of everyone sitting at the cafeteria table. If you'll notice, um, when Xander's heard talking to Oz, the camera pans up from the food being served to momentarily show Xander, Willow, and Buffy sitting together. And the food and their sitting arrangement is all from the episode, I Only Have Eyes From You. But when you pan into 
Oz and Xander talking. It's just the two of them at the table. Nobody else is there. So they use the exact same shot from that episode and then like forgot that Willow and Buffy were not going to be at the table, which is very odd. Oh, I love this dialogue, though. I was cracking up. He's like, is it about the talking? And Oz is saying like absolutely nothing. He's like, is it hard to play guitar? He's like, not the way I play it. He's like, I mean, you yourself, Oz, are considered more or less cool. Why is that? Am I? <laughs> it's, it's like, maybe it's the fact that Oz knows when to shut up. <laughs> maybe that's it. Maybe that's why everyone likes hanging around with Oz. And Oz, like, this is one of the reasons why I love Oz is because even though you can tell Xander is getting on Oz's nerves, like, Oz is just kind of like, whatever. Like, it do- he doesn't really let it bother him, which I'm like, good for you, Oz. You have way more patience than I would. That's My favorite cool. bit of dialogue, though, is when he's like, what do I have? He's like, an exciting new obsession, which I think makes you very special. <laughs> he's just placating him now. Here's the thing. I feel like the the number one rule of being cool is you don't talk about being cool. Only the cool people are the ones that, like – don't feel like they need to talk about it. It's the uncool people who feel like they need to be like, I'm cool, you know? I feel like this is the second episode in the series so far that starts out with a, not the, and then it jumps to the end of the world. I swear this is the second episode. Yes. But I I eat it up every time. I'm like, yes, I'm here for this. This is such a Buffy moment. The transitions are just one of my favorite things about Buffy, I think. And this episode just, the, the pace of this episode is very fast, and that includes the transitions, but just like the music, uh, the the switching between sequences. Also, I noted there's a lot of sets, and I think it's because Xander just kind of like makes his way to pretty much every single location we've seen so far on the show. Seriously. <laughs> Wait. Okay. So this um, – I'm reading what Giles says in the next scene. He's talking about Sisterhood of Jay. They're the ones that are bringing forth the apocalypse. And they're the ones they were fighting at the beginning of the episode. So the fact oh. that they had to grab Faith and have Willow do a spell is supposed to show you just how powerful these these people are, these women. To be honest, like there's so much going on this episode. I was a little bit confused on like the actual apocalypse of like Buffy and everyone else because that's like not the forefront. Yeah, I don't think we're supposed to. Fully I think know. that's kind of the point, yeah. though. <laughs> yeah, is that like, yeah, you're kind of supposed to be very confused, and it's also funny because like it's supposed to be this whole idea that these like monsters underneath are like <gasps> the big bads, like they are you know coming to kill everyone, and you're literally like. You guys killed him with a sword. Like, yeah. it, they didn't seem like that big of a deal. Yeah. <laughs> and Xander's over here, you know, dealing with a bomb and, and like stuff that's seemingly not as big, but still showing that it's important, you know? I'm glad you guys think so. Cause I was like, why am I the only one who really does not understand what's happening? Cause I was trying to like keep up with what they're talking about. I'm like, I don't even know what to put down. I don't get this apocalypse at all. I really we don't. We know enough information to kind of piece together. People are trying to open up the hell mouth. That's it. That's all I yeah. know. And then these demons that are also coming at the same time. Like, the I don't demons, understand. The demons that are coming are the ones that are trying to open the hell mouth. Okay. But again, I just told you I didn't understand it, so why are you surprised? Well, because it's literally <laughs> stated in the episode. Like, Giles says this, like, twice. Okay, but did I lie? <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying I don't think that's the fault of the episode. <laughs> I think that's you. I didn't say. I just said I didn't understand oh, okay. it. <laughs> I'm just making sure we're all clear here. Jeez. <laughs> the third degree. This is not the forefront of the episode. I don't think – I really feel like the integrity of the episode is not lost by me not understanding the side buckle. Just making sure that the integrity of Buffy is intact. Oh, my goodness. Okay, gatekeeper. Gatekeeper. Rude. 
<laughs> yeah, we've got spicy tabby today. Oz comes into the library where they're talking about the end of the world. I love how like epic that this music is every time they're talking about the apocalypse. And then it jumps back into like Xander's part of the episode. And it's like this like goofy music. <laughs> it's like, on your stay in the library. <laughs> this, that episode, I've only ever heard or yeah, only ever heard that goofy music. And you always know in these sci-fi shows, Leah knows what I'm talking about, that it's supposed to be – it's going to be a like filler episode, whether good or bad, or if this goofy music is in. It's in Angel. It's in Doctor Who a ton. Doctor Who's is so bad because the episode would literally start out and it's like – And you're literally like, oh, no. <laughs> you're like, this is where – because like all the budget gets shot on like the good episodes – and so they just use like the background, like typical sci-fi music for like the other ones, and they use the same. It is chaotic, music. and then it just comes out. It's like pew 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 pew. They're like the switchings, and you're like, oh my gosh, guys! I know I'm not good at sound effects, but like, <laughs> if you knew, if you knew the sound effects I was trying to emulate right now, you would understand what I'm trying to say. Honestly, just as bad as angels, like, like. Um, heartburn, like flash flood warning, like oh, Tabby. This isn't the spoilers. And, you like, can't talk about Angel. Oh, <laughs> oh, I hate this podcast sometimes. <laughs> hey, I feel like that's the first time we've done something like that in a while. Doesn't everyone know at this point? It's middle of season three. Okay, who out of the ratio who doesn't know that there is an raise your hand show. listeners no you one know. <laughs> nope no one raised their hands cool what a millennial <laughs> joke oh my gosh raise your hand if you're here <laughs> i just looked at that i just um don't disrespect my man christoph beck the music for this episode slaps and there's nothing like it anywhere else in the rest of the series like whenever i hear this music anywhere like this specific specific one i'm like it's the zeppo it comes from the zeppo like the whole violin and then as it's going along like that's the zeppo and i will say it's very recognizable it's like it's recognizable <laughs> i don't hate it i like this episode i'm just saying like you know you're saying what I don't understand what you're saying. Like, no, I'm just guys. I'm no. Listen, We're trying. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but like, I just need you to understand that it's there. Okay, all right. Oz comes into the cage as they're having that dialogue. They're mentioning the demon that came from Prophecy Girl. Obviously, they didn't reference that you know episode that we watched. I really feel like if he was like personified in real life, he'd be really freaky. Wait, the one that the tentacle demons with the Jurassic Park Velociraptor screams from mm -hmm. Prophecy Girl. <laughs> I just yep. think about the end of the episode when Jaws is like, it's grown or whatever. And we're like, oh, snap. Mm -hmm. She's like, there's something about this one that scares me. I need my willow. Oh, this is a moment that we needed between their friendship. I know. I love any it's moment It's been with so them. long. I think it's funny how Willow talks about how she's like, every nightmare I have that doesn't revolve around academic failure or public nudity is about that thing. And I'm like, Willow is afraid of a lot of things at this point because like she's just having like continuous fear Same. about things. And yeah, which I mean, I guess that's par for the course. For Anadophobia Willow. or anadophobia or whatever is that it what, is. Is it a rat? That's literally no, that's me. A that's spiders. What is wrong? Ranaday? I think it might be Ranaday. Ranada? No idea. I should know because I actually have frog phobia, so – 
Okay. You do not have frog phobia, Tabby. You just don't like frogs. Yes, I do. <laughs> oh I literally gosh. want to vomit looking at them. I literally won't even go into details of why I hate them so much. I feel literally physically disgusted looking at them, and I hate them with everything in me. Yeah, but I feel like that's different than fearing them. Phobia is more of a disgust. That's not necessarily a fear. Mm, okay. Okay. It is. Literally look up the definition <laughs> of phobia. I'm teasing you. I believe you. I believe that you're I don't have a phobia of heights. I have a fear of heights. I have a phobia of frogs. Okay. Okay. That's fair. Okay. But just like to put a cork in that, did you guys notice Willow's pants in this scene? Because I can't get over the fact that they look exactly like pajama pants. I'm going to be honest. I don't remember the <gasps> pants. No. Like, I know. You Guys, don't? I'm sorry. Lacking. Oh, my gosh. All right. Hang on. I really don't notice Willow in this episode. Not like in a bad way, but it's just like I really just don't think about her in this episode. Leah's area of expertise. Man, disappointed. All right. Well, I'm going to pull up a picture, you guys, because you have to see these pants. I just – they're the ugliest effing things I've ever seen. Every person listening needs to look at this. Yeah, they do look like pajama Wait, pants. I can't see. They look comfy, though. I think it's paired with the zip-up jacket that may really makes it look lounge-like. But they literally look like flannel pajama pants. All they need is the little tie in front. Like, what in the world? Speaking of great humor in this episode, oh, my gosh. So Xander rolls up in this, like – gorgeous car which happened to like perfectly be like his uncle's car because he has a DUI so he's letting him drive it which I'm like if I was uncle I'd be like absolutely not that thing is too nice <laughs> and then he starts talking about how it's this thing and then the Buffy goes is this a penis metaphor <laughs> which I feel like I don't think that this was supposed to be like breaking of the fourth wall but I'm gonna take it as breaking of the fourth wall because it's everything's supposed to be like about a metaphor and so like the fact that she's like is this a penis <laughs> metaphor and especially since we all had to be subjected to the ugly penis monster of a metaphor in that one cult-like frat boy episode. I actually like the episode. I just – you literally scarred me, Sarah, from telling me that. <laughs> I literally would have never thought about that oh, in my just life. Wait. And then you said it and I was like, There's another oh, episode that's coming up, Leah's favorite episode later mm. on in season six that is also a penis metaphor. If you're talking about me, mine is trying, my well, least favorite. Well, I definitely have the least favorite. Ep- yeah. No, my least favorite is the Yeah, I'm talking about red. that. No. Oh, not that one. I'm talking about a, the other one. Yeah, I was about to say. I was like, I feel like that should be everyone's least favorite. <laughs> it's a penis metaphor. No, I think that's not a metaphor. I think no, I'm sorry. I, no, face. I'm sorry. I wasn't meaning in the scheme of a penis metaphor. I was just meaning a, as a general rule, that should be everyone's least favorite in the show. Uh, and then they tell him about the evil and he's like, what can I do? Anything. And then you just see him at the donut shop. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, so Cordy's kind of railing into him again this episode. And then I love how he just like walks over and he's like getting into his car and this like random chick comes up. She's like, what car is that? This girl is such a funny inclusion in this episode because there are girls <laughs> like, like this. Who are you? Why are you here? <laughs> I just think it's so funny. Like the idea of someone like this, like not just girls, but like anyone who's just like so sexually attracted to people in cars. I'm like, why? Like, okay, you drive around for a little bit and then like you have to talk while you're driving. It's not just like the car. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that she's like sexually attracted to Xander. I think she just likes the car. I think she's 
attracted to the car. I think she's in the car with him so that she can talk about cars. I don't know that she's even into Xander. Um, and then they jump to the bronze and they're having the most boring conversation. You see Xander just like so over it. And Angel walks in. He's like so eager to talk to Angel. <laughs> you know there's a problem when Xander is excited to see Angel. And you also know that there's another problem when the girl is not excited to see Angel. She wants to talk about cars. Yeah, that fool is really blind right now. I kept thinking about it and I just – my favorite part of the episode, you know how like as an actor, if I were like David Boreanaz or Sarah Michelle Gellar, like especially when they have that like intense like like argument scene in like his mansion or whatever, I would feel like, oh, well, like if we're just a side scenario apocalypse going on, I really feel like I wouldn't put my A game into like the – eagerness of like the scenes or like the desperation but the fact that they went so hard on their like like it really felt like it was like becoming part two or amends like when they walked in it was like their like acting was like so extreme and like desperation and like emotion and such and i i think that is so funny like them walking in they're like sobbing and being like she's like i can't say goodbye to you again and it's like so dramatic like if they had done like kind of like a half-assed job or if it was like the actors weren't really like putting like their full emotion into it. It wouldn't be as funny as it is because like Angel comes in and he just looks so emotionally detached. Like he has like he's one of those people that like if he has one thing on his brain, he cannot compartmentalize. And he comes in and he's just like on a mission. I love that Angel's like, no, you had you best stay out of harm's way. Like he's still thinking about Xander's safety, even though Xander like absolutely abhors him. They walk outside to try to go somewhere else. Um, Xander accidentally hits what they think is Jack's car. I think what's funny to me is what Xander says is instead of being like, oh my gosh, I hit someone. He goes, it's okay. Just a little fender bender. I'm like, that still looks like a serious <laughs> thing, especially if you don't have insurance. Like, just a little fender bender. I'm like, Xander, you hit his car. Also, I want to give Xander five stars for... Honestly, I can't say if, if I was to hit someone else's car as a teen and I had someone else in the car with me, my first thought would be not, oh, are you okay to the person in the car next to me when like clearly they're just like sitting there. I would have been like, oh my gosh, I'm in so much trouble. Is the car okay? All the other stuff because, you know, I'd be thinking about which like how much trouble I'd be getting into. But he stops and he says, are you okay to her first before he checks on the car? And I was like, you know what? That, bare, that bare is five stars for Xander. That's bare minimum. <laughs> bare minimum. <laughs> oh my gosh. You when he, when he checks up on her safety, hard eyes. <laughs> Come on, guys. In the middle the of a literal car accident. <laughs> so there's like five stars. <laughs> <laughs> like, he literally just asked if she was looking. I really love it when, like, a man, like, <laughs> makes sure that, I, like, I'm not dead after a car accident. Like, I really like it when he purpose, like, when he's bad driving, gets us in a fender bender, and he asks me if I'm okay first instead of worrying about the car. Like, I think that's really sexy. <laughs> it's like one of those Twitter threads back in 2011 where it's like, when he oh asks my if I'm gosh. okay after a car accident. <laughs> oh, my goodness, when he drives me home. Well, after picking me up, Hardice, when he makes sure I have my seatbelt on so he doesn't get a ticket, sexy. Okay, give Xander a break. When he offers to pay halfsies on the ticket. When he makes me pay, but he asks if it's okay first. <laughs> At least he thought he was being nice by asking if I was okay with it. Feminism. 
Okay, the script says the door of the other car opens. Jack O'Toole steps out, premeditated murder in his <laughs> eyes. <laughs> Dude, Jack O'Toole's such a sick name. What the heck? I didn't know that was his last name. O'Toole? <laughs> really? Yeah. Is this a penis metaphor? <laughs> oh my god. I was thinking more of like he's like a, a jerk, like you know, like a tool, like Jack O'Toole, like he's a tool. Mm-hmm. Not that tool. Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Not everything's a metaphor for penis. (laughs) So in the library, Oz is like the cranky wolf. And then they're like eating the donuts (laughs) while researching. (laughs) And then you see Jow's kind of all stressed in the corner. He's talking about how the the council will answer his call, how he's trying to figure things out. You could tell that Jow's was like, I don't know how to do this. He's like trying not to panic. I need a donut. And the jellies are gone. This part, I... Again, there's so many parts of this episode I just forgot about or didn't realize was in, were in here. He's like, all I know is the fate of the world rests on it. And did you eat all the jellies? And then she's like, did you want a jelly? He's <laughs> like, I always have a jelly. I'm always the one who says, let's have a jelly in he the mix. so offended. <laughs> and then she's like, oh my, wait, <sighs> maybe this is a toxic trait of mine. But like Willow's like, we're sorry. Buffy had three. Okay, Willow. That's so annoying. Like, how old are you? We also know that Xander bought four jellies. So who was the person that ate the other jelly donut? Willow. He's like, no matter. Make Xander have another run. (laughs) That is so evil. (laughs) Okay, so in the script, that whole scene right there was not actually there. Like, they probably wrote that in when they realized that they needed more time in the episode. It's kind of interesting. Oh, really? I feel like all the best parts of the episodes are kind of squeezed in because they're like lighthearted conversations that kind of like make it a little bit more not necessarily interesting. I don't know. They're just little fun parts. I've learned stuff that they add in later for like timing or whatever. I tend to enjoy a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But I mean like that episode was – or that scene was still – like when you look back, you're not like, oh, this was filler. Like it's necessary to show the gang like doing stuff without Xander. Speaking of Xander, oh man, I feel for him this episode. He handled it really well though. This whole like outside the bronze where like Jack brings out like Katie and he's like, where do you want it? Talking about penis metaphor, like this seems like so awkward. And he's like, fairly certain I don't want it at all, but thank you. Xander. Well, Xander's like, oh gosh, Jack, hey, are you okay? Your car came out of nowhere. I was burned. Sander, this whole episode is so funny to me because he's so scarily, like, submissive. Like, something will happen. He's just like, okay. That's the best part of this episode. There's, like, mad chaos and he doesn't affect him at all this episode. This is literally the epitome of Xander. Like, he's, like, the chick's, like, getting annoyed. She's like, I'm barred. While he's literally being, like, assaulted. This chick is so She's funny. The girl who played her must have had such a fun time. And he's like, you named the knife. How serial killer of you. And then, like, Jack is like, don't you feel all pathetic? He's like, mostly I feel Katie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my gosh. He pulls out a freaking Jim Bowie knife. Like, what the heck? They used to call this, like, um, the Frontiersman uh, toothpick or something like that because it's got, like, the clipped edge or whatever. It's, like, the curve. It's a really girthy knife. That thing is long and thick. I was like, dang, that thing would hurt. Well, Jim Bowie was known for having, like, he was a master, like, um, 
knife fights guy. Like he used to constantly get into knife fights. At one point, I think he like took down like there's a story about him taking down like three or four guys with just a knife. Like he was he was a beast. Dang. He's the guy, he's the guy that I told you guys that he was in the Alamo and he That's what I was thinking. He had like the flu. Yeah. He had the flu or something. And when they found his body, he was surrounded by like seven men and he had been in the infirmary. He was like in his bed and he had a knife. And um when his mother <laughs> when his mother um uh found out that he had died her her response was but did he die with his back to the wall or something like that it was like some like badass response where she's like no son of mine would like die when you know having a bunch of people after him i don't know i don't forget what it was uh but yeah anyway. well both him and uh davy crockett really held their own in that scenario like i remember reading up on him being like both of these men are like retired and dying and they Pull themselves out of retirement while having full families. They're in their 50s or yes. 60s. And then they yeah. just kick absolute ass. Are the, the only two standing people and then die like completely just like obliterating everyone around them. This may be TMI, but if I was married yeah. to Davy Crockett, I would have a fat lady boner all the time because of how cool he was. <laughs> I mean, we have no idea what he looks like, but okay. Thank you, Leah. No, it literally does not matter what he looks like. Like, could you imagine being married to a guy who's like, yeah, I'm just going to pull myself out of retirement to go kill a bunch of people. You're like, okay. <laughs> okay. So this is what Jim Bowie's mom said. I'll wager they found no bullets in his back. Whoa. What a, <laughs> That is fire. Do not make them like they used to. That is such a like a genius phrase because it implies so much about his character. I love that. And especially for a mom to say, like, that's so cool. Like he he's no chicken. He doesn't run away. Right. Well, think about that the next time Jack O'Toole pulls Katie out and you're just like Jim Bowie, man. Anyway, moving on. He talks, he gives his whole monologue about like how a real man has like less fear. And like, but it's funny because like Xander is literally being threatened by his life and he's acting pretty calm. Like I'd be like literally like, I don't even know what I'd be doing. I'd be hysterical. That's for sure. Um, The cop comes out and you could tell that he like knows Jack. He's like, oh, this tool again. <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> Tabby with your penis metaphors. That wasn't. You keep making that. <laughs> his last name. I'm dead. And in the midst of all of this, Lizette is her name, is all like, I want to go for a drive. I'm bored. As Xander literally is being held at knife point. And Xander's like, well, I'm sorry my life or death struggle isn't exciting enough. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Who is this chick? She is funny is who she is. The, okay, the script is also hilarious. It says, Jack grabs him, knife, hand, and throat. Xander struggles with him as Jack inches the knife closer to Xander's stomach. Xander is strong, but Jack has a light in his eyes that means he's willing to go the extra mile, the one that crazy people run. <laughs> the cop comes out, and you could tell that he definitely knows this Jack dude. Um, and he kind of is like, Jack, are you threatening this person? And then Xander being like, I was like, wow, this is really decent of you, which is exactly what Jack says in a second. But he like doesn't rat him out at all, which I'd be like, cop over here. <laughs> He's trying to kill me. I'd be like, right. over. that's the man right there. <laughs> Don't forget his freaking sword. Literally, that thing is massive. He's like, Katie and Katie too. Don't forget about Katie. <laughs> Katie gets her own cell. <laughs> and then he's like, we should go get the boys. 
And the girl's like, okay, I'll come now. All of a sudden, now she's intrigued because they're going to go ride the car again. So we have this, like, the funky music stars playing hardcore right here. They go to the graveyard, and then they're just, like, picking up all of these dead bros. <laughs> so funny. I literally thought that Bob was the guy that was um, from some assembly required, Daryl. I same. thought he was Daryl. I was like, oh, no, Daryl's yeah, back? literally same. Yeah. And he's like, oh, this is uh, this is Xander. And he's like, hey, punches him. <laughs> he's like how long have i been down he's like eight months he's like oh i've missed so much he's like did you tape my favorite show for me i need to see what happened not you know like are my parents that would actually be me and tappy oh my gosh did you i'm like did you catch the new season (laughs) well back then they just like had to record it like now you can just stream it like that's gotta suck like like could you imagine the days like i didn't have to go through this that much i was like maybe like eight or nine when we did it with like American Idol but you'd have to like race home and make sure you either caught it on television yeah or like you recorded it that's so much work I mean say what you will about Jack but he seems like a pretty great friend (laughs) for real though and then they go to the other dude and he's like my dudes (laughs) comes out of the dirt Okay, so my thought throughout this entire episode is why is Xander sticking around? Why is he It's doing because this? he's, he's scared like and that's what's so funny is that it's literally like he's like he's the one with the car. He can literally get in the car and drive away. That's what's so funny is that like Xander is such a brave person, but I understand his valid fear in this moment. Even though if he just stopped to think logically, he could understand like, oh, I can run away and I'm also friends with the Slayer. So she can like beat them up for me. But he's so like petrified and he's just stuck there. Right. What makes it so believable for me is the fact that like he knows that Jack goes to high school with him. It's not just vampires they can avoid throughout the nighttime and they don't come into his house. It's the fact that Jack goes to the same high school. Like he'll see him forever. So I think that's what's scary too. He's thinking if I'm not on Jack's good side, He'll literally kill me in broad daylight at school. Yeah. I guess that's valid. But at the same time, I'm kind of just like, Xander, go find Buffy. I just think it's so funny. They're in the middle of the graveyard. Everyone's being raised. They're all having like their little like a bromance time. And then he's like so stressed. And then you see from like a distance, Giles is like trying to break into like this spirit world. And then like a few (laughs) feet away, all of like the zombies and Giles doesn't even notice them. And then Xander comes up. He's like, hey, Giles, what you doing? Oh my gosh. This is my like gotta be like one of my favorite lines of the entire show. He's all like trying to gain access to the spirit guide. What are you doing here at Xander's like, oh, we've just been raising some heck. <laughs> but also, like, Xander, this is your out. Like, tell him. Tell him, like, hey, <laughs> I'm being threatened for my life right now. Like, they're raising a bunch of dead people. No, 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 guys. Y'all are <laughs> y'all are breezing over the best part of this episode. He goes, there's something different about this. There's something in the air. The stench of death. And he's like, yeah, I think that's Bob. <laughs> I was like, who so wrote good. that? Who wrote that? Who is it? Point me to the man. <laughs> so funny. He's like, I think, I think that's Bob. And Giles is like, well, we may all be called to fight when it happens. And Xander's like, when what happens? What's happening? Tell me. Oh gosh, the whole scene is just so chaotic, fun. Like, I just, I'm obsessed. And I love how the contrast between that and to like an extremely intense scene where Willie is like literally beaten to a bloody pulp and he's like gasping for air on the floor and Buffy's like, stay with me. It's okay. And he's like giving her like intel on what to do and like who's coming and like 
He's like, if I were you, I'd go find Angel and find somewhere quiet and think about how I'd like to spend the last night here on Earth. Like, it's just like so intense. <laughs> Willie low-key, like loves Buffy and Angel together. It's so sweet. You and us, Willie, we all understand it. We're like, please, just go be together just one night. Is this the first time we've heard them say, like, I mean, obviously we'll go there, but like the I say I love you in this season? I think so. Because they, have, they haven't really like full-blown talked about like their relationship or their feelings or anything. I But we kind of get the sense that they're back I know, together I again. I just love how it's like 13 episodes deep and we're like, guys, we know y'all are in love. And they're saying as if they've never said it before. It's just so funny to me. It's so dramatic. So they're driving around and then they're like, we want to go get girls. And then one of them's like, no, let's bake a cake. I'm like, okay, weird. But all right. <laughs> I love how we don't know that that means a bomb the entire time. We just know it means like baking. It's we like a it's universal code. Like, what? I just think it's funny that Sanders just like, they're like, oh, well, I can drop you guys off. And they're like, no, 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 you're not getting out of this. I love how they casually talk about how each of them got like killed. <laughs> and Bob's like, yeah, I got shot while robbing. <laughs> Jack got killed on a drive-by <laughs> shooting. Was dark. You were dark. dark. I just think it's so funny because they talk about such dark things in such a light mood, and then there's like chaotic music playing, and you're just supposed to be like, okay, but drive-by shooting is so dark. Like what? The heck? Like a high school student. It's so dark. He's like, I was only out for twenty minutes, and you're like, um, maybe you have unresolved trauma. So then they go, you know, break into a hardware store and. Like Xander's just like sitting there and then he hears Willow coming out of the magic shop, which I guess it makes sense that the magic shop would be open pretty late at night because they probably have demons and other people like that that are coming in and out of the magic shop. But it's just funny because Xander literally was like, oh, it's late. Nothing's open. And then Willow's out there getting stuff at the magic shop. The way that this scene is shot is really interesting because they there's a lot of red. Um from the signs and stuff and it's all like directly on top of the car and where the guys are at and it's backlighting Xander but where Willow's at and when she comes up to talk to Xander she's got a lot of like white and stuff and I think they're specifically trying to counteract the two people and the interactions that they're having mm. I just love the little random like tender moments because I think we just forget this like legitimate like apocalypse in the series because everyone's literally acting right. like they're gonna die yeah and xander's just like okay don't know what's going <laughs> on can i help what and then they walk out and then he's like so guys i'm i'm gonna dip and they're like he doesn't feel like a part of the group because he hasn't been initiated and they're like trying to like all bend together thinking that like xander's like one of the bros and he's like i'm really okay like i just want to go home he's like i'm just kind of busy <laughs> you guys and then they're like well we need to initiate him do you think he's ready and then xander's like um sure yeah i'll be in the gang and then they're like what do i have to-? he's like what do i have to do and jack pulls out katie again and it's like you gotta die poor guy <laughs> and then th- again there's another like take it like a man there's a lot of like subtle like I don't even know what that would be called. Yeah, a lot of – yeah, subtle innuendos and stuff. I mean, even yeah. – I, mean, I know I'm sorry about like the penis metaphors, but Katie really is a penis metaphor. Like they yeah, literally have Jack really pulls him out. It's the idea of like – Manhood. Yes, exactly. This is everything that Xander has been confronted with all the way from teacher's pet where it's like to be a man, you have to be this. Um, and so I think that the show is trying to show how ridiculously – overblown it is at times and how misogynistic it is and stupid and be Mm -hmm. like, you know, 
true manhood is someone who stands up for what is right and does the right thing regardless if people recognize it or not. Or even just groups of men are just idiotic. Like that's what I got from this episode. <laughs> that too. <laughs> when you're together, they just add dumb and they're all like dead, you know, just normal metaphors, you know? Well, Jack was pretty stupid before he met up with them. But yeah, I get you. I know what you're saying. I mean, he didn't like ask to be like literally shot by a drive-by shooter. So I was like, sir, he asked for it. <laughs> I'm not saying he asked for it. Okay. Whereas Bob went into like rob a bank and then get shot. <laughs> Bob, Bob was asking for it. <laughs> <laughs> Xander runs back into the car and then drives off. Um, and then he runs into Faith, who's dying, fighting one of those, like, um, I don't even know what those demons are called. What are they called? Sisterhood of G or J? Sisterhood of whatever <laughs> is fighting one of those. And then he um, runs over one of them. Faith jumps into the car. They drive off. I forget that this scene is in this episode. Mm-hmm. This is a really weird random scene. I actually – I feel like it makes a lot of sense because if you look at it like kind of in an artistic point of view, for Xander, this is a big moment. Like this is the moment he loses his virginity. Right. But in Faye's eyes, this is a normal Tuesday night. Mm -hmm. And so I like that it's brushed off because I really am curious. I mean, I know how it's going to go, but like, you know, hypothetically speaking, I'm curious (laughs) to see how like – his virginity is kind of seen after this because I also feel like a male's virginity, especially in the 90s, was not treated as a big deal because, oh, they're men. doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Whereas like a woman's virginity was like, oh, you know, like how big of a deal like Buffy's virginity was treated and stuff. And so I think it's very interesting that Xander loses his virginity in the middle of an episode that you're just kind of like, there's so many other stuff going on that you forget about it. I feel like it's very on brand for Xander, and I think it makes a lot of sense for Faith as well. I also kind of like that in an episode where it kind of calls into question what the idea would every single one of his, you know, centric episodes, but like his idea of like manhood and how there's like a different perspective about it and what that's supposed to mean for him. Uh, where he's kind of wrestling with that, but then kind of coming out on the other end is the episode that he loses virginity, but not in a very glorious way. It's like mm-hmm. he's kind of in the position of a female, like in most cases, especially during the 90s, mm-hmm. um, where he's inexperienced and she's very hungry and, and you know, in her words, helping him around the corners of ropes or whatever, um, staring him around the curves. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like it's really interesting. Even afterwards, like he's tenderly stroking her arm and then she kicks him out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it subverts everything that we think we know about Xander in some ways. I think that – or at least I think it even subverts what Xander even thought that it was going to be like. I think he yeah. expects, oh, it's just going to be like a conquest thing and like even the way that he talks about it. But like you see the way that he treats Faith afterwards. I think that he mm-hmm. was kind of like, hey – like let's cuddle for a little bit like he was he wanted to take a moment and faith was kind of like nope like we're done and i think it's kind of cool that they have that i have mixed feelings about this i 
I'm like, I don't hate it within the context of the show. I think this scene is harder to watch now, knowing everything with Joss, knowing that Joss kind of sees himself as the Xander insert, and then knowing that like Buffy is kind of the untouchable slayer, like Xander can't have her. Mm. Um, and the fact that Joss allowed Xander to be with Faith instead. And it just kind of reads as icky to me. But within the show, if I'm not thinking about Joss and all that stuff, I think that it works really well. Yeah, I agree. To your point, Leah, where you're talking about how you're curious to see how they go moving forward and stuff like that and whether it's treated as like not a big deal and stuff, I think that's also kind of the point. The point is that this huge thing, this thing that Xander probably has wanted for so long that we've seen in the show, like he's always talking about sex. He actually has sex in this episode, but it's not the biggest thing to happen to him. And there's so many other things happening and he doesn't need, we don't even have a moment to think about it. And I think like that's just another example of like, um, showing how Xander is having to grow up and to mature and to realize that like sex isn't the most important thing that like there's other things that are going on as well. And I think that that like shows a little bit of maturity for him. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, life doesn't freeze frame. Just, just speak of Oz um, in those moments, you know, like life still continues, you know? And so I feel like even though those moments can be special and amazing and everything, it's like, that's not what life is for. And so it's really interesting kind of like what Sarah said is like, it's kind of smack dab in the middle of so much chaos and there's like five other huge things that are happening and that's how life is. It's like you take a moment and then you move forward. And yeah. if you're lucky, you can sit in the moment for a while, but that's not usually how life happens. Yeah. I think that's also the difference between being an adult and a teenager. Like for teenagers, yeah. it's like Oh yeah. Sex, I feel like I had much sex. more time to sit in well, I mean, not sex for me, but like in high school it was a little bit more like, oh, I'm in love and I was engulfed by it literally all the time because I didn't have much to do other than study for high school exams, you know? Whereas now it's like, okay, cool, I'm dating. Oh, I also have a full work day and then I tutor and then I have to come home mm-hmm. and then I have to cook meals and I hang out with friends yeah. and I like do a podcast like there's so many things right right so back at the library they opened up the cage and they have this whole willow shooting him and i just think it's so funny like the idea of like um a cranky like oz yeah even in like a like wolf form it's just funny i just is it weird that i always forget that oz is a werewolf am i the only one we barely see him as a werewolf so yeah you're not the only one i just i genuinely forget all the time and then poor Xander, I do feel bad for him. Like, Nicholas Brendan, you can see his face by being like, he's like unaware of what just happened. He's trying to process, uh, like walking down from the motel into his like his car. And I love how his first instinct is like, let's find Buffy, as if she'd know what to do with bomb stuff. Well, I think, I think it kind of speaks to the gang's reliance on Buffy, but also just in general. It's like when the gang feels lost, they turn to Buffy because they look to Buffy to have an answer because ultimately it's on Buffy. Like with supernatural stuff, it's either Buffy figures it out or it doesn't get figured out. And then this scene. (laughs) Oh my gosh. The best part of the episode. He like, you don't even see him walk in. You just cut straight to them in a passionate like monologue argument. And he's like, Angel's of course going to sacrifice himself. And the music's like their theme too. (laughs) Like it's everything. She's like, I can't watch you die again. And he's like, I love you. Like, looking at this from Buffy and Angel's perspective, literally everything in their relationship is life or death. So, like, they're not being dramatic. Like, this is literally what their relationship is like all the time. But from an outside observer, someone like Xander, who, like, isn't there all the time, he's like, 
that's how he sees it and views it is just like so dramatic. Right. Well, and I mean, even the way the music changes and stuff, it really reminds you how much music adds to the scene because as soon as it cuts out, you're kind of like, oh, um, yes, this does seem quite dramatic. You feel like Xander in that situation. Yeah, right. Exactly. When you're pulled out of the moment without the context. I feel like I'm intruding. Yes, exactly. I love how Xander's (laughs) like, can I help? And Buffy's like, no, like, what does he want to be their therapist? <laughs> no, the way he says, he's like, hey, I've got this, um, there's this, um, this is probably a bad time. Can Puppy's just like <laughs> shaking her head, like, what are you doing here? Oh, so good. They're both like sobbing. They have like tears streaming down their face. So I, funny. I love that they add the extra touch of Xander walking out through the courtyard and like up the stairs as he's like trying to figure out what he's going to do. It's just so awkward. Like he's just like, you can tell he just feels out of place. Like, oh my gosh, this episode gives you the right amount of like secondhand embarrassment. You're just like, oh no. <laughs> so they're doing a spell in the library. They're trying to move Oz out of – or they already moved Oz out of the library. Um, we find out it's a binding smell. I still don't even know the difference. Like, is the binding spell like trying to like keep something secured? Is that what that is? I think it's kind of a catch-all phrase, but it's basically like we bind them, meaning they're never able to open the hellmouth or something like that. Bind means to like secure. I really to- feel like that's thrown in there so much. And yeah. I'm like, okay, no, but what actually is. is a binding spell? Binding spell sounds better than just regular spell. True. Um, and then, the, like, Giles was, like, telling her as soon as she lights the candles and she has to, like, go hide and make herself safe. And he's like, I'm not arguing about this. It's just so funny because it's, like, again, it's in the background, but we've never seen Giles this serious before. It's just hilarious that they put this, like, as a side thing when it really is massive. Well, Giles is also being kind of inconsistent because they had, like, Willow doing a spell at the beginning of the episode and he didn't seem to have a problem with that. And he's like, no, you can't do this one. This one's too dangerous. So maybe it's just like the difference in severity of, of the spells versus the fact that I just don't want you doing any spells. It's just kind of odd. Um, Down the basement, we see that the boys are setting up a bomb. Do we even know why they're setting up a bomb? Just to create wreak havoc and stuff. And I really wanted to, I wanted to note something really fast. So when Giles is talking about who knows what's going to come up from beneath us and they have that transition and then beneath them is literally them setting up the bomb. They use the exact same music as from season one with the master. So normally, you know how in season one, they'd pan down and we'd be like down in the master's lair. Like we're literally just panning down to the basement and they're like, (laughs) they're setting up the bomb. Um, So Xander's like, trying to sprint away from that awkward interaction from the mansion. He's roaming the streets and then he sees the boys just like walking in the middle of the street somewhere, probably coming back from buying all of their ingredients. <laughs> and then Xander's like, what do I do? What do I do? And he's just like in the pits of panic, just grabs one of them and is dragging them, which worked out because like he ended up telling him exactly what was going on. Well, he just has like Parker in his hands and or like under his arm as he's like driving and he's like, and now I'm going to ask you this once and you better pray you get the answer right. How do I diffuse? And then the guy's but head just like. like <laughs> just even the comedy of it because it's like, it's a really intense moment and you're like, yes, Sander, good for you. Like, you know, you're getting that information and then he like kills the guy he's interrogating. You're like, Sander, get it together, man. Hey, he got 
what he needed though. But his sheer panic of like holding the corpse and he's like, oh, he like throws it. <laughs> Which technically the guy's not even dead. He's just decapitated. So his head's just out there and he's probably like yelling. Yeah. How does that work? How do you kill a zombie blowing them up? Yeah, I mean, that's what's basically alluded to at the end, you know, when Xander's like, there's a difference between itty-bitty pieces of you being swept up versus, yeah. you know, you walking, talking, living, eating, whatever. Yeah. So they all chase him because he accidentally kills Parker, or it's implied <laughs> that he kills him. <laughs> and they just leave the guy's head back there. They didn't I even try to pick it up and like, you know, let's sew it back on or whatever. No, we have to make our cake today. We'll go and find him afterwards. We cut straight into the library. And he's like, my God. It's grown. Oh. <laughs> Giles? Okay. I love how we don't see it. Like, we don't know what's going on at all. Okay. Is it just me? Was Giles, like, so much extra and, like, intense in this episode? I was like, I really kind of wanted to see well, this apocalypse because I feel like Ripper Giles would have come out to play. No, I think the whole point of it is that we're seeing each character through Xander's lens. Yeah. So, like, okay. Buffy is more emotional and her and Xander are more dramatic. Uh, like, Willow angel, yeah. is more, like... Willow and um, Oz are more aloof because, like, since Willow has started dating Oz, Xander doesn't see as much as her. Then it's, like, Giles is more, like, stoic and, like, very serious because that's how he is around Xander. Mm. Like, I really feel like yeah. this it's, – it's the whole idea of, like, uh, Xander is not a reliable narrator. Yeah. Like, not that he's narrating, but we're seeing the episode sure. through his eyes. So I think the whole idea of it is that, like, we're seeing things through a very – corrupted lens yeah or like slightly skewed but i think it's funny too because that makes a lot of sense why you know giles would be upset about the jelly donut that would make sense why cordelia would be slightly more biting yeah that's a good point leah then they all kind of like run by the window and then one of the other dudes just like stops the stairs whoa (laughs) (laughs) he can see it we can't even see it i know i love how he like each of them branch out into different parts of the the school. And I love that he takes out every one of them. I was like, you go, Xander. I'm proud of you. Like, he goes towards Bob first. Bob, like, breaks open the axe, which reminds me of school hard. Uh-huh. And they have this, like, epic fight scene. He drops the vending machine on Bob. Recipes, Bob. Um, and then he, like, tries to do a speech with the other dude. And the other dude just runs away. And he's like, note to self. Less talking. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then we have that really <laughs> epic moment where, like, is it Buffy who gets thrown out of the library? And she's like, uh-huh. go for the heart, Faith. And we're like, no way. We want to see what's going on. I want to see Faith. That go was for the so heart. sick. That's such a fun scene. She like gets thrown across the hallway. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Oh, he's he's chasing the other dude, but then the demons pop through the wall. <laughs> That's <laughs> terrifying. terrifying. He's like, the other way. <laughs> Well, and he like watches through like the screen or the blinds as the guy just gets completely annihilated and he's just like, <laughs> uh, and then he runs downstairs to the basement or the boiler room. Don't really see the difference. And then he sees the bomb. Um, Jack kind of pops out of nowhere. And then, oh, this part of the this episode is, good is so good because you can tell that like. Actually, not even you could tell. I really watched this scene, even as somebody knowing that Xander's scared. He played it off so well. I was like, mm-hmm. wow, A for freaking effort. Like his mm-hmm. like acting in this scene. Mm-hmm. I would be like, yeah, I don't care. Sweating profusely, shaking. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. A lot of people 
talk about that I've seen are like, oh, it's really concerning that Xander like seemed ready to die, that Xander seemed like he was okay with dying and all this other stuff. And I don't read the scene that way. I don't think Xander was ever wanting to die or okay to die. I think he was completely calling the guy's bluff. People say that? Yeah. They think that like it's concerning that Xander was, they say, you know, wanting to die in this scene. I don't see this as cowardice, like in a way of like him wanting to die. I see it as a way of like bravery. Like he does, he's calling the guy's bluff, but he's also willing to risk his life to save others. Why is that concerning? Buffy has to be willing I was to die about like to every say. episode. Yeah, it's very interesting. And like so Willow's, Willow's put her life on the line. Giles has put his life on the line. Like all of them have to be willing to die every episode. So I think that's kind of BS. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly why, but either way, like. I don't think Xander truly thought he was going to die in that moment. I think Xander like knew that Jack was secretly like a huge coward. I think that he was like Jack's going to inevitably want to save himself over anything else. But you know, I've learned that what makes a um hero of a the hero and scenarios like these where they could die, what makes them always beating it is the idea that they play around with death, that they have a death wish. Because if you didn't, I feel like, especially for me, I do not have a death wish. I feel like I would freeze up where I feel like if you're not afraid to die almost, you're able to kind of like go there and almost kind of like match their level and kind of think pretty clearly because you're like not panicked in your brain. And I really feel like Xander's kind of getting the idea that like being the slayer or being like a watcher or whatever, you play with death so much that it doesn't really phase you as much. You don't really think it's going to actually happen. So you kind of play around with death a little bit. Also, if you're trying to bargain there for like two minutes of that time, the dude's just – I just think he would find a way to – either run out or just let it blow up. But I feel like this specific speech really put into perspective what he'd be losing. I just, I mean, for as much crap as we give Xander, I have never once doubted that Xander is not brave. Like Xander is very courageous. Totally. And he, for all his faults, he has always been the one that's unafraid to go and stand up and fight bad guys even with no powers. Then you see Jack sweating and then he unplugs the like red wire, which is like pretty much a trope in all these bomb movies. It's that actually I've seen. not the red wire. It's the green wire. Oh, really? Yeah. The um the script specifically says that. It says Jack drops Katie and dives for the bomb, pulling out the green wire. And in all caps it says not the red wire. <laughs> Interesting. But before that, did you um talk about the scene where it's like like Angel is trying to pull a she-demon off of Faith and Buffy's being held up by a tentacle and Giles is like, et omnia vasa veritatis. <laughs> <laughs> then Jack's like, I'm not going anywhere. Anytime you turn your back, I'll be there. He opens up the door and then Oz pops out and like completely <laughs> annihilates him. Oh, that was like the I know. perfect Oz, end. MVP of the episode. In the script, it says that um, when Xander – we don't see this in the scene, but it says when Xander – walks out, closes the door. As he goes, his legs give out from underneath him. He almost falls but manages to recover, never letting his cool factor waver. I'm kind of bummed Aww. we didn't get to see that. I'm like oddly proud of Xander this episode. I'm like, you deserve a nap. I know, right? <laughs> so I was like, five stars for making sure the girl didn't oh, okay. get in the accident. Okay. And then I'm like, you know what? Five stars for um, saving everyone's life. This wow. is the moment he deserves five stars. <laughs> 
I will say it's like it's refreshing to see actual growth coming from Xander. Yes, like yes. and seeing an episode where you actually see positive sides of Xander and not just in a little bit, but in a big way. We see a lot of really positive things from Xander this episode. Yeah, I agree. So outside the school, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but just like the dialogue is like, oh, perfect. Willow was like, I can still hear it screaming. And then Oz is like, Angel's going to be okay. And she was like, he was only out for a few minutes, longest of my life. Which is so dramatic. Aww. <laughs> it's so sweet, though. Uh, but also, that doesn't really make sense. Like, Angel's a, like, <laughs> doesn't have breath. Like, how does he get knocked out? <laughs> Don't question it, Leah. Shh. <laughs> Just let it happen. Just let it happen. How do literal zombies walk around in this episode? I mean, you know, you know. Yeah, but in zombie lure, they literally only walk around. <laughs> so like, and, but in vampire lure, they don't That's true. pass I guess out. This is kind of defying both natural physics and yeah, yeah, supernatural physics. Okay, okay, all right. Let's don't think <laughs> so. It's like, much. well, how do vampires suck blood? We're like, well. That's part of their lore. (laughs) He has no breath. How's he sucking? Oh, gosh. (laughs) And then Will goes, I'll never forget that thing's face. It's real face, I mean. And then they're like, I don't know how you managed. It was the bravest thing I've ever seen to Giles. And he looks all like proud. And he's like, stupidest. But the world continues to turn. You could tell he was like patting himself on the back for that one. He's like, yeah, it was the stupidest thing. Loki, he's like high-fiving himself. They're like, no one will ever know how close the world came to stopping or what we did. And then Xander comes up and they're like, Xander, you're lucky we're not at school last night. But okay, they've never been this like well-done team, well-done team. Anytime after like becoming or maybe it's because nobody actually like died or anything. Maybe they didn't feel like it'd be appropriate to do this after Buffy literally died in Prophecy Girl. They're like, woo, guys, we saved the world. And Buffy's over there like literally traumatized. Then Xander asks if anyone wants snacks and Oz is like, no, I'm oddly full today. But I, I will say it's just, it's nice seeing Xander like, I don't know, like a bit humbled. Like he, I feel like he has a sense of like well-earned mm-hmm. confidence where it's like he recognizes he can handle himself without them, but he also recognizes that he is an important part of the group. He just has a different role to play. Yes, absolutely. He realizes that they would not have been able to save the world if he hadn't stopped the bomb. Like if the bomb had gone off, like the world probably would have ended. And so he's recognizing that like he's still important. Honestly, this would be such a confidence boost because I'm like, you know what? If anything, I know I can save the world, or at least I did at one point. And I can rest easy knowing that I did that. Mm-hmm. I saved my friends. That's okay. And this is huge because, I mean, even Xander saying, I like the quiet is huge because what have we talked about? Xander doesn't like silence. He uses humor. He uses things like that to help ease the awkwardness of a situation. He doesn't like the tension. So for him actually being willing to like rest and be patient and wait and to embrace the quiet, I think that's also symbolic of like inner peace too. Like he's embracing that part of himself that's okay and willing to like not understand, not know, um, and to maybe not be in the limelight like everybody else. I think that's kind of cool, you know? Um, music, sound, and silence. Remember I said at the beginning of the episode, this kind of parallels that first scene or one of the first scenes. It says the musical cue here called For the Glory 
by extreme music subtly indicates the beginnings of Xander's transformation already hinted at by his strong, silent reticence with the Scoobies. It begins as Xander smiles enigmatically. The cue resembles the indie-style rock that opened the episode and recalls the memory of Xander's ignominious failure on the lawn when the episode began. Now, however, the indie rock moves towards a different conclusion. The chord progression contains the three chords of the opening cue, but adds three additional chords that complicate the straightforward sense of direction in the first cue cycle. Instead, this cue contains no cyclical repetition at all. When the final phrase of the cue begins, the dialogue has ended and the music, preceded by a sudden explosion of melodic activity in the bass guitar, surges into prominence and evokes a sense of exhilaration as Xander continues confidently to walk away. The final sonority, again, leaves the music with a conventional sense of closure, yet this time the euphonious quality of the chord and its volume is sufficiently strong on its own to suggest a kind of breakthrough moment. Certainly, it implies something of Cordelia's inability to understand Xander's transformation, but it indicates something even more important. Xander, even though he remains every man, has finally come into his own as a character with his own agency and purpose. More fully than ever before in the series, he has acknowledged his own particular abilities, his own strengths, and his own singular kind of knowledge, knowledge that no other member of the Scooby gang possesses. Listeners who attend carefully to the two cues will apprehend that the second modifies the quite usual strains of indie rock to support a psychological passage, somewhat ambiguous yet resolute, even courageous. And that's from Music, Sound, and Silence. Kind of wordy, but I really like how even the music kind of recognizes that there's a change and a shift in how Xander views himself and views his role in the gang. And I think that's really cool. All right, guys, that was the Zeppo. Easily one of the more enjoyable Xander-centric episodes we've had so far. Didn't give me, um, you know, PTSD. I don't need therapy after that. But no, I fully enjoyed that. Hopefully you guys did too. Again, you guys can find us on Instagram, Tumblr, TikTok, Becoming Buffy Podcast, and email us, becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. Let us know. Do you guys love the Zeppo? I feel like it's one of those that's very popular. A lot of people like it, but I I just have never really thought about it as being one of the most popular episodes. Um, what do you guys think of Xander's character growth? What do you think of his arc up until now? Let us know. And as always, guys, we will talk to you next time.